All right, what's up? Welcome in GC Live Friday episode of the show. Hope y'all are doing well. Blame me for the lateness. Was enjoying a, a wonderful lunch with a couple of friends and then also got home and my internet is out. So we Fun. are yeah, rolling with the personal hotspot. Hopefully it hangs in there. The beauty of technology is you can actually get away with that for the most part these days. There was a time when uh, it would not be possible, but hope y'all are doing great. Hope y'all are having a great Friday. Hope y'all are starting a great weekend. Beautiful weather here in Columbia, South Carolina. Chris, as we get ready for Gamecocks versus Gamecocks, um, this will probably be the only time a Rich Rodriguez head coached football team plays a game at Williams Price Stadium, right? Ooh, I see what you did there, Wes. Um, because there was obviously at least a chance that there could have been a lot of them played back in the day as he was in the mix for the head coaching job in December of 2015. That seems like, I was going to say it seems like almost 10 years ago, and it was almost 10 years ago, in fact. But yeah, probably so, man. I, I know you were talking about uh, on the Game Cut Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 yesterday when we were out at Steel Hands about how you know, Rich Rod, he kind of has an interesting demeanor about him now because he is kind of on the back half his, of his career. What is he? He's in, what, his 60s? And obviously guys can coach a lot longer. But isn't it kind of hard to see him being, I don't know, make, you know, the Auburn coach or something one day? Like, it seems like those days of him being in the mix for these big-time jobs are probably done. But He's still a really good football coach, right? Uh, gets to Jacksonville State last season. Uh, was was year one for him there. He's tasked with kind of shepherding them from the FCS to the FBS transition. They're in the Sun Belt now. And Wes, you look up, and they're, they're a 7-2 and two team. They're a good team. His system is tough to defend. That, Like I said, two losses and both to quality teams, right? They lost at Coastal. And then they played a Liberty team who is also quite good, undefeated, in fact. And those are their lone two losses of the year. They've they've been pretty impressive at their level. And uh, even though you are looking at a, a G5 versus P5 matchup, nonetheless, a challenge for this Gamecocks team, the South Carolina Gamecocks team. Yeah, this, uh, by the way, before we get any further, this show presented, as always, by our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. Clint, a great Gamecock and also a great mortgage dude. He's a mortgage broker here in Columbia, South Carolina, but he can help you regardless of where you are in the great state of South Carolina. Obviously, rates aren't in a great place right now, but guess what? You got some options out there. There's some various things you do, you can do to try to put yourself in a better position to buy a home. Clint will walk you through what any and all of those mechanisms may be for you. Uh, speaking of mechanisms, uh, a little logistics thing here, by the way, I'm just going to warn y'all. I do have a video um, from a guest that covers Jacksonville State. We once again are borrowing them from 107.5. Like I said, my internet was out. I got onto the show here late. It may at some point awkwardly pop up. As I'm trying, there's a certain way I have to load it in. So I'm just warning everybody, there may be a moment where it pops up before we're ready for it. And if that happens, just bear with us. I'm going to warn you. And then we will we will go on to the full video once we set it up a little bit later on. So just fair warning there. like to just keep it real, keep it honest here. 
with y'all. So, Chris, as we dive into this game, and, you know, maybe in some ways, more importantly, dive into some storylines for South Carolina specifically in this game. How about the news from yesterday? Call-in show with Shane Beamer. Gamecocks are getting Case and Henry back. Gamecocks are getting Vershawn Lee back. And even just the, the way Beamer said it, the phrasing there, it, it wasn't, hey, Vershawn Lee is available. Case and Henry is available. Yeah. You know, hey, or the – the dreaded, oh, those guys practiced, which you have to kind of parse. All they, right. They did they did some things. They did yeah. some stuff. They, they were there. <laughs> kind of have to yeah. parse it. Um, it was, they will play. So, you know, we, we still don't know for sure. I've tried to do a little bit of digging around today, Chris, hoping to have a couple more answers before I put out my Carolina Confidential that goes out every single Friday. Um, haven't quite gotten solidified answers yet on if those guys are going to start, but Beamer said they're going to play. My belief right now is they probably do start. And I, I think that gives you some actual possibilities, right? Like some combinations you can work with. You all of a sudden have a little bit more depth. And I, I think South Carolina would love nothing more than to find a five to put out there and keep it as much the same as possible for these final four games of the regular season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the interesting thing, Wes, is there's still more to go in terms of the health of this O-line. Like, Trey Jones has the, as you have said, dreaded high ankle sprain. And normally those are dreadful especially for an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, right? His big guys, a little tougher sometimes. We'll see how he heals up. We'll see it, it, when he can return, if he can return. Wes, I feel like Trey Jones is playing well, and you feel like you would probably want to insert him into the lineup when he returns. But, but if you can find something against Jacksonville State, wouldn't you want to carry it over to Vandy? And if you carry it over to Vandy and it works out, wouldn't you want to carry it over to Kentucky and then to Clemson? Probably so. I am fascinated by a few different things. And, and man, I'll say this again. Never, ever envisioned we would talk about O-line as much as we have this season. It has by far been the, the most popular position to talk about because of the injuries, the struggles, all these things. But I'm fascinated by what combination we see. And let's say... Lee and Henry are starters. I mean, that, that's a question just to start with, right? We, we can begin there. Will they start? If they do, where, right? You now have Vershawn Lee is a guy that I think Wes has played every spot on the offensive line, whether it's practice or games at South Carolina. As we know, he started the season as a center. He moved out to right tackle. That, Wes, that one half, and it was just one half, but you felt like with Trey Jones at left guard, and Lee moving out to right tackle from his center position, you felt like th this might be the combo. And then, of course, you have more injuries, and you don't end up being able to sustain that. But where does Vershawn Lee start, and where does Case and Henry slot in? I think it says a lot, Wes, about him, his potential, his upside, and what the staff thinks of him, that when he comes back, you don't hear anything like, Ah uh, well, you know, we'll have to work Kaysen back in there. And and maybe that is the case, but it's not said. Um, this is a guy that's played 37 snaps in his college career. He played two games last season, redshirted, 
preserved his red shirt, played four snaps against UNC, got that starting job despite missing a huge – the whole spring, most of the summer, and, you know, a good portion of the preseason and still won the job. And so the fact that he's back in and competing, I think says a lot about him. And, of course, it says something about South Carolina's position and the situation they're in on the O-line. But, you know, he started game one at right tackle. Shane Beamer mentioned on Carolina calls, Wes, he may be battling it out with Tree at left tackle too. And we know in the preseason he was getting a look at left tackle. So I'm just fascinated by what combination they come out with. Do they stick with it? Are they able to stick with it throughout the game? Can they stay healthy? And, and what does it look like? Can they find, like you asked, you know, that that stable starting five? Yeah, and certainly, you know, you hope if you're South Carolina, you could get to a point of this game where you can play several guys across the board, not just on the offensive line, just in general that you can rotate, um, you know, pretty uh, heavily in, in this matchup because you have a, a second-half lead. Um, but, man, if I if I had a shot, you know, maybe you make a few little changes on the offensive line late, but – if I had a chance to play these guys 70 snaps together, you know, I, I think you, you need to maybe try to take advantage of that. Especially, here's what we don't know. Like, is Case and Henry, like, game ready in terms of, like, football football speed and, and kind of being just up to – you kind of talk about football conditioning and it's a little bit different, like, game conditioning. It's a little bit different than anything else you might do. So – uh, but has he – remember, Chris, this became a conversation. It was like three weeks ago, I think, that Beamer said, hey, Cason Henry is like back on – he's far enough along that he's back on the injury list. Like he's somebody we're talking about again. And right. Remember he made that comment – this is like three games ago. He's like, we thought he might be available this week. And yeah. so that leads me to believe he's been on the cusp of coming back for a, a few weeks now, which maybe lends to the idea that he's pretty he's pretty close to being like a, a true 100% at this point. Are there going to be some growing pains? Of course. But I, I think if you feel like he is one of your best tackles, you just want to go let him have those growing pains, I think, right now and, and go play. And, you know, I, the fact he's competing at left tackle is very, very interesting to me. Um, you know. Now I do think you've kind of, you've kind of, you've made the move on saying, "Hey, we're just going to let Tree kind of learn in the fire." Basically, I don't think you put the toothpaste back in on that. Like I, I think you you just roll with it. But Tree, who we you know believe will play this week, obviously, he has been banged up, so that does give you another potential option there if he tweaks something or if he's just not quite where he wants to be um you know maybe it's not that case and henry just beats out tree babalati but maybe there's a point where you say hey we need to just give him a full week off and i'm speculating with this but just having that option there i think is now nice to have so for for this week or for this game i think Let's just say everybody's good to go, everybody's healthy, everybody's available. You would think that means you slide Garjulo back to left guard, Vershawn Lee um, back to center, 
Casey Henry, right tackle, Troy Ball, right guard, and then Big Tree at left tackle. Now, if, if anybody sort of feels banged up or tweaks something, that could change this conversation. It feels to me like that's where we're headed. I, I think if Casey Henry, though, is going to is playing left tackle, because it's not a coincidence that Beamer mentioned that. If that ends up being the group, then that does maybe reopen the door to mixing everything back up again and meaning Vershawn Lee back at right tackle, right? Yeah. I, I wonder, Wes, if the starting point for the staff, like when they're sitting down figuring this out, I wonder what the first question asked is. You know what I mean? Like, is the first question, okay, Vershawn's back and he's good to go. Where do we put him? Is that the starting point? Because if you say center, hey, we, we really feel like we want Vershawn at center. Well, then that puts Nick G back at a guard spot. Now you've got right tackle open, you know. If you say, hey, I, I, man, I'd really like to stabilize that right tackle spot. Or, hey, maybe Tree's still not 100%. We need Casey at left tackle. We need Vershawn at right tackle to stabilize that. Well, then you've got Nick G at center and all your corresponding moves. So. I wonder if Vershawn is kind of the swing guy or if the, you know, just the injury situation, how you feel about tackle. Like there's so many different starting points that you could kind of, um, you could kind of craft this from. I will say, Wes, I am kind of the, the snaps notwithstanding, you know, there have been a couple snaps from Nick Gargiulo that, you know, were, were a problem area. He's probably more of an anomaly, Wes, not like, I think maybe some may forget he has a ton of experience playing center. I mean, that's what he did at Yale. I know that's not the SEC, but he's got plenty of experience snapping a football in football games. So I kind of like Nick G also at center and Vershawn at at right tackle. Like I, I keep going back to that, just that half we saw against Florida and really just feeling like, man, I think they found the combination, but then you look at that and go, well, Trey Jones isn't in there, you know, so you don't really technically even have that combination anymore. So it, it'll be fascinating for sure. And uh, that that's the first place my eyes are going tomorrow. Whenever South Carolina's offense is coming on the field it is going to be, it's not going to be all right, where are the receivers lining up or anything like that? It's going to be, what, what is this combo up front? And, and is it the same numbers? From that point forward, you know, every drive moving forward, is is it those same guys or is there some rotation? You know, I, I thought Ja'Kai stepped in there and, and played okay at left guard last week. So you do you do have some options there, which is just – that hasn't really been the case for much. I think you have some good options there. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see what direction they go with that. But um, they really seem to like being able to get Trey Jones moving and just having a little bit different – maybe body type in there at left guard. And so, yeah, you, you don't have that back. And, dude, I don't know. Again, I, I hate when people speculate on injuries, so I don't want to. But high ankle sprain, just not what anybody wants to hear for an offensive lineman, especially when he is a guy you want to maybe get moving and do some more gap scheme type elements, which we saw them start to introduce, not coincidentally, about the same time they introduced Trey Jones back uh, or into the lineup this year against Florida. So we'll certainly see where they go up front uh, against a Jacksonville State defense, man, that they're good statistically. Like in some ways, 
they're probably sitting there saying, man, everybody wants to talk about Rich Rod and the offense and all this, but they're surrendering less than three touchdowns per game, like less than 20 points per game. They've done some good things statistically. I do think if you start to go a little bit deeper, though, when they have played, even for like their conference, when they have played the the better teams, they've given up some points. Like they, they've allowed into the 30s. I think it sets up pretty well for South Carolina to put up some points tomorrow afternoon because it's easy to forget at home, which not coincidentally has been when they have faced defensive fronts that they've been able to block. The numbers, the offensive numbers, have been very, very good. And so some of that you can say home versus road, like literally the fact they're at home versus on the road. Some of that is just a matchup thing, I think. And for this week, though, once again, it's just worked out that way. I think you kind of like their matchup regardless of the combination. You feel a little bit better about them winning that that battle against Jacksonville State up front. And then I think that sets you up to possibly have a big day um, on the ground and through the air, I think, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Wes, you look at – um. The Jackson to go back to the Jacksonville State defense. I mean, they gave up 28 points to Sam Houston State, who is defeated this season. They are 0 and 8, ninth in conference USA. And I do think a couple of those came off of turnovers for Sam Houston State. A couple of those touchdowns were on shorter fields. Um, you know, and you, if you're talking about complimentary football. Zion Webb, I believe, didn't play at all in that game. He's been a big difference for them. Zion Webb at quarterback. They've got Smothers, who is a little bit better of a thrower, can also run the football, run that zone read. But Zion Webb, the past two weeks, Wes, I think has gone over 100 yards rushing, you know, and so he, he can really run the football. So you think about it with complimentary football, but just looking at Jacksonville State's defense, you're right. I mean, this is – and Rich Rodriguez said it, and I don't think it's any sort of like mind-boggling – or surprising thing that he said, but he said, you know, this is the most talented team we'll have played since I've been here in a couple of years. And you look up and down their schedule and it's the only SEC team, uh, one of the only major teams that, that Jacksonville State's played. So that's not a surprise, but, you know, they gave up 31 points to Liberty. They gave up 30 to Coastal. Um, you look at that Sam Houston game, Middle Tennessee, they won 45 to 30. So they had a great offensive day, but they gave up 30 points. So, They've gotten themselves into a couple games that uh, the other team made it a higher scoring game on their side. And you feel like at home, man, South Carolina scored 37 points in the last two games, Mississippi State and Florida. You feel like they could probably get there again in this one. Yeah, I think, man, so much of football, we we talk about this a lot, that football comes down to matchups and individual matchups or – you know, this group versus that group matchups. I think it also a lot of times comes down to, and this is maybe an offshoot of this same concept, but comes down to game flow and kind of which team is capable of forcing the other one from doing what they really want to do, what they're comfortable doing, what their identity is. And, you know, look look at this Jacksonville State. Let's just take the win over FIU this past week, a team that is four and five, but is one and five within their conference. This is a 41 to 16 win for Jacksonville state. And 
dude, they, they completed nine passes in this game. They were nine for 19. They, they passed for 105 yards in the game with Zion Webb throwing all 19 of those. But you go to the other side, 55 carries for 265 yards in this game. And a, a huge portion of that, like you said, is it, Zion Webb, 20 carries for 125 yards and two touchdowns. So they're, they're not going to be shy about running him, I think is a key thing to point, point out. So many teams, even ones, don't you feel like, dude, even teams that do run their quarterback and do have that aspect and firmly have that as part of their identity, they're still a little bit like, hey, we're going to run this guy when we have to. We're going to pick our spots. We're going to try not to get him hit. We're not going to run him like a running back in terms of he's getting hit 20 times per game. Jacksonville State, they got no qualms about saying, we will run our dude 20 times, 25 times, whatever it takes. We're running our quarterback. And this is maybe, I mean, maybe not the best way to look at it, but I got to think the fact they have two quarterbacks, they're kind of like, we're okay taking this approach that gets your quarterback dinged up from time to time, honestly. Well, and, and Rich Rod's system, it seems like it is, is he, he seems like more comfortable running the quarterback. I mean, you just think about our guy, uh, was it Pat, the combo of Pat White, Steve Slayton back in the day. And that was just devastating, you know, with, with Pat White running the football and you've got a guy in Zion Webb, man, who, He's had 300-yard rushing games this year. He's got multiple rushing touchdowns. I think he's averaging, what, about five and a half, a little over yards a carry. He's got a 61-yard run in there. So when you have a dynamic athlete at quarterback, makes sense to do it. And, you know, he, he has missed some time this year. I, I didn't see the play that he got hurt on West, but presumably he took a hit, right? And so – um that does happen here, but with Rich Rod's system, that zone read, he definitely wants quarterback run to be a pretty big part of it, and they're definitely not scared to do it. So, uh, quick trivia question, and okay. we'll, we'll leave this up to the chat here, and I'll um, I'll tell y'all here in a minute. Don't look it up. Like, honor system. <laughs> Don't look it up. How many yards do y'all think Pat White rushed for? Oh. In his West Virginia career. Oh, I Chris, was gonna I was gonna try to guess one season. Career, career is um just think about it and uh tell me what number popped to mind here in a second, Chris. But yeah. Pat White as a runner, and then Steve Ooh. Slayton, I think he was a third round pick, too. But I mean, those guys were phenomenal college football players. Pat White didn't get drafted incredibly high just because, especially at that time, you know, they just – they viewed quarterbacks differently, I think. But um, he still got drafted even then. I think he was a sixth-round guy when I was looking it up earlier this week. But Pat White as a runner was freaking electric. But they – you know, even back then, man, they – as important as he was to what they did on offense – I mean, they stuck to it. Like, they they ran the football with their quarterback. He was not a big guy. He's not a thick guy. Um, but just kind of tells you a little bit about – I'm sure the scheme is a little bit different, right? But 
their, that tells you their mindset really has not changed a, a whole lot. And that was like 20 years ago. Yeah. It, it was, Just it was a while back. Do I get to try to answer the trivia question? Did he play four years, Wes? All right. Do I so get that? I'll, I'll give you that. Okay. I'll I give everybody in the chat. Everybody's being shy for some reason. Some type of hint. He, he played, um, Four full seasons at Yikes. West Virginia, and okay. and he was he was put. It was not a freshman year where uh, he played in four games. He played in three. He played a full true freshman year at West Virginia. Okay, so this is kind of old school a little bit. Like you know how you go back and look at some old college numbers, and it's like, well, they they stayed four years back then right right um 5200 see i this is what i didn't want to happen alex guessed 5000 plus chris is guessing it, it really downplays the actual number when y'all when y'all go that high on it but four four thousand four hundred and eighty rushing yards i mean that's still incredibly impressive i mean he was so good that i was like giving him extra credit because like if you would have said no chris that's you're dumb it's more than that i would have been like oh okay like that makes sense i was trying to like get okay maybe he had like 1800 rushing yards one season for a quarterback what was his highest total in one year so he rushed for 47 total touchdowns and his highest the the crazy thing is how consistent he was Mm -hmm. as a freshman 952 yards rushing. Sophomore, 1,219. Junior, this was his biggest year, 1,335 yards rushing. And then 974 as a senior. Mm -hmm. So, basically, my man was 50 yards in his freshman year and 26 yards in his senior year of – basically having a thousand yard rushing season every single year in college from the quarterback position, which is that's nuts. Ridiculous. Hey, not not to even mention guys that he threw for over six thousand yards and fifty six touchdowns. Yeah. He could do it so all. I know I, I know I we're way off, that. off the rails here, but I just I think we had to take a moment. That was a fun time in college football. That was that. That team was so fun to watch. Uh, but South Carolina does not want to. Fans now have have no interest in watching Rich Rodriguez do that with a team that they're playing against. You do it with West Virginia. Good memories. Don't want them to create any more this season. Not that Pat White and Steve Slayton are out there by any means, but they have some capable dudes for sure. Well, I was just saying, your goal Saturday should be that you don't walk away thinking that Zion Webb looked like. Pat White, and you don't walk away thinking that who are these other guys, Ron Wiggins, Malik Jackson, Anwar Lewis, you don't want to walk away thinking they're Steve Slayton, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're like, man, they, we made them look like that, then be bad. it actually could be. It's not the game I thought you were seeing. Like, it, it could be a long, long day at the office for South Carolina, which, um, you know what, Chris, why don't we go out um, – Hey Travis, that's that's a good point there too, man. 
Denard Robinson at Michigan, NCAA football cover athlete. Done. Yeah, that was fun for a minute. That was very fun for a minute at Michigan. Uh, tell you what, actually, let's tell everybody about our friends at Liberty Tax here for a moment, and then we're going to go out and uh, give you this interview. Uh, 803-462-5576. Believe it or not, tax time is right around the corner, and uh, our friends at Liberty Tax, with their three convenient locations in the Columbia area, they want to help you cure your taxiety. You may be a little bit worried about what your tax return is going to look like, or are you getting enough money back, or do you owe money to the IRS? They're going to walk you through this entire process and, again, overcome that tax ID. 803-462-5576. My man Larry over at Liberty Tax, huge Gamecock fan as well. So if you're a Gamecock and wants to support another Gamecock while also getting great service, hit up Liberty Tax. So, Chris, we went the – the cheating route here again with our guest. Yep. Um, not the Michigan alleged cheating route. This is, uh, there are not any actual rules against this, uh, and we have permission. So this week, finding a Jacksonville State guest would have been kind of tough anyway. But our guy Tyler Head at 107.5 host um, every morning, also hosts GC Takeover with us. He spoke to Maxwell Donaldson, who actually is Jacksonville State beat writer with the Gadsden Times. So we've got that interview here. We're going to play that. We're going to all learn a little bit more about Jacksonville State together. And then we'll talk about it. We'll close out the show and we'll go from there. So like I said, here's Tyler Head with Maxwell Donaldson from the Gadsden Times. Jacksonville State joining me now uh, to discuss the other Gamecocks from the Gadsden Times Maxwell Donaldson. Maxwell, first of all, thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time this morning. Uh, I was made aware yesterday, I believe this is the first ever matchup, at least in Division One football, of two teams with the nickname Gamecocks. Uh, did you know, do you know anything about that, or are you aware of any other matchups that have happened between teams with that name? I, I don't think so either. Uh, well, I guess first of all, thanks for having me on. But uh, I, I think if this is the first time Jacksonville State and South Carolina has played, I do my full research usually later in the week, so I don't know if that's correct. But yeah, I think this. It could be information to change your life forever. Or the Something You Should Know podcast could just be something interesting. Herb Cohen is one of the all time legendary great sales trainers and negotiators. And he has some advice that will help. Looking at this Jacksonville State team this season, currently sitting at 7 and 2, losses to two. Pretty good programs in Coastal Carolina and Liberty. What's your assessment of what you've seen uh, so far this season from the uh, the other Gamecocks? I think uh, they're a team that's been trying to find their offense as the season go- has gone on. Uh, early on, it was Zion Webb was the opening game starter, but then they kind of played Logan Smothers, who's a Nebraska transfer. The last few games, it's been Webb mostly, other than a game where he was injured. And then Smothers got injured, so they had a third-string quarterback in. It's been Webb, and I think he's found his groove as of late. Um, so I, I think this is a team that's been improving on offense each week, and that defense has been something that was gonna is gonna ha- keep them in games all season. It's been very consistent and very high level. 
Uh, talking about that little bit of controversy between Zion Webb and Logan Smothers at quarterback, what what was the biggest reason for that coming into the season? Why was uh, Coach Rich Rodriguez not able to really commit to one or the other when the season started? I don't know if it was a quarterback conversation, like the true sense of it. Um, he always said they had two quarterbacks that were capable of starting, and they were willing to start both of them depending on who had the hot hand or uh, – he never officially said it, but I'm sure matchups came into play sometimes. But it never really seemed like there was an actual, like, they were trying to find a pecking order. It was like, who can win us that, you know, the Liberty game or the Coastal Carolina game? Um, it was like, who can win us that game? This kind of, I feel like, how they were going through that. And obviously the Jacksonville State offense, very run heavy. And we know Rich Rodriguez, one of the innovators of the RPO and both uh, Zion Webb and Logan Smothers, very good at doing that. What is the true difference between these two guys when they're on the field? I think Smothers can throw the ball a little better, especially on the deep passes. Um, He has a little more touch. I think it's maybe coming from Nebraska where there was a throwing, more throwing. They were asked to throw it deep more often. But Smothers has a better touch on the deep ball, but Webb is a threat when he gets out in the open field. Uh, I think last week there was a couple ones where he would just run up the middle, break a tackle, and then he was gone for 60 yards or whatever it was. So I think Webb is an amazing open field runner who almost kind of runs like a running back out there at times. Uh, Outside of the quarterbacks, Malik Jackson leading the way for the team with 615 yards on the ground at the running back spot with four touchdowns. Why is this offense as a whole, they are eighth in the nation, by the way, in rushing yards per game. Why is this offense as a whole slow, so hard to slow down when it comes to running the ball? Because they're a team that likes to run the ball, but they'll do it. Two, they'll snap the ball two seconds into the snap clock. or, or um, They run it extremely fast. So you don't really have time to get reset or get, you know, you can't really have your heavy run blockers in there because they're running plays, you know, as soon as they get up to the line, they're snapping the ball. And there's not really – I think it's their speed of the offense, really. Uh, On the defensive side of things, this team is currently tied for third in the nation in total takeaways this season. What is it about this defense? How are they uh, generating so many turnovers? Something that South Carolina has actually struggled with quite a bit this season. I think it starts with the defensive line. Uh, There's just too many guys in my name. Uh, J-Rock. Swain and uh, Chris Hardy, they're the main two, but they can rotate guys in there and they're getting pressure. Uh, they've struggled against some of the bigger offensive lines they faced. That was one reason Liberty kind of started pushing the rock in the second half. But, you know, they I think it's the defensive line creating pressure. A lot of times you'll see with the interceptions even, their quarterback was rushing the throw because a guy was about to come hit him. So I think it all starts on the defensive line for the game, for the game Cox from Alabama. I'll say that's uh, that's something that's certainly going to be a concern. I know you said you're getting into your prep a little bit later on in the week, but South Carolina has had a litany of uh, offensive line issues this season. They've actually had a different starting offensive line combination in every single game this season. So that could be an interesting matchup to watch down there in the trenches this weekend. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that might be where the game if the game if the game comes from Alabama. I, hate when there's the two teams that have the same match. <laughs> I know, it's tough, Cameron. right? But if Jack State can kind of get that all defensive line going, I don't know if they pull the upset, but I think it could. this game could stay close for a little longer than South Carolina fans might want. 
So Jacksonville State, and this is something that we've actually talked about quite a bit here on 107.5 The Game, talking a lot about James Madison, who is uh, is ranked um, uh, uh, currently uh, undefeated up there um, at uh, 8-0 on the season. They're in the midst of their FBS transition, much like Jacksonville State is. And with Jacksonville State sitting at 7-2, and are you surprised with the amount of success they've had in their first full season in uh, FBS football? I don't think so. I think... One, they hired a great coach in Richrod a few years ago to kind of help them because he knows what a D1 program needs. And I think since he's gone there, he's been pushing, hey, this is what we need to compete. Uh, and then they've had some guys who are, you know, they're very veteran. They have two seventh-year players, multiple sixth and fifth years. So I think that helps. But I think the guys who are hungry wanted, you know, came to a program that was an FCS team who now get a chance to play FBS ball, which everyone wants to play. And I think there are a bunch of hungry guys who want to prove themselves. I think that is an underrated thing about this team. Again, talking to Maxwell Donaldson from the Gadsden Times, giving us some insight into the Jacksonville State program ahead of this weekend's game between the two Gamecock teams. Uh, uh, speaking of that, um, uh, again, when we talk about uh, the transition to FBS, that obviously means that these teams are not allowed to go to a bowl game due to the NCAA rules. Uh, what, what are your What are your personal thoughts on the fact that you have to wait a couple years before taking part in the postseason when you're making this transition to FBS? Well, so one that is a bit of a common misconception. If there's not enough six and win teams are above, that is true. James that is true. Actually, would get picked. But I, I think if you're going up, I never got why if you're going up, there needs to be restrictions. I get if you were going, if it was the opposite, if an um, FBS team was going to FCS, they maybe shouldn't be allowed to compete right away for playoffs. But going up, if you're good enough, we saw it with the ASON basketball, I think, last year too. If you're good enough to go win the conference title in year one, that doesn't sound like a problem you know, if Jacksonville State can compete for the CUSA title, that doesn't sound like it's a problem for them. Maybe it's a problem for, you know, other teams that, I don't know what I'm saying. Maybe other teams, it's a problem for them more than Jacksonville State. Yeah, and, and again, the, the common uh, example everybody's using is obviously James Madison, who didn't get ranked in last night's college football playoff poll because they are not eligible for the postseason, unless, of course, you know, the not enough teams get eligible for the bowls. But Jacksonville State, also one of those teams that's in that same boat, already getting over the 6-1 mark, which would make them bowl eligible, but not being able to because of those transition rules. And last one for you here, um, with that being the case, this is the only Power 5 team that Jacksonville State takes on this year. Is this kind of going to be viewed as essentially their bowl game, kind of like their Super Bowl this year? I don't know. I, I know, obviously, they probably, they want to compete, and they want to, you know, of course they want to win, but I don't know if they've kind of been level-headed with every game where they don't look at it. Do they view it as the next game? And obviously, we get a bunch of coach speak that's, and with the veteran players, of course, you know, you get basically coach speak from seventh-year players are giving you just the same coach speak that Vitrod does. But I don't know if they're looking at it as, you know, a game where, oh, this is maybe our big game of the year. I think they're just looking at it as the next game, and it uh, should be a fun game in South Carolina. Absolutely. Looking forward to the matchup. Are you going to be out here in uh, Columbia this weekend? Sadly not. Uh, we do most of what I do is high school football, and it's our final week of the season out here. So we have some big matchups, and it's just too much of a with 11 a.m. kick. There was 
basically no way I could actually do it. Yeah, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be an early day out there at Williams Bryce Stadium, that for sure. But certainly excited to see what happens between the two Gamecocks this weekend. Uh, Maxwell, thanks so much for taking a few minutes of your time and uh, letting us know a little bit more about this Jacksonville State program. Thank you for having me on. All right, that was Maxwell Donison Gadsden times. I have no idea what that ad was that started auto-playing at the beginning, so apologize for that. But so one thing about this caught my eye in terms of matchup and something to watch on, on Saturday or, or tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. And Chris, that was when he said that Liberty and sort of some of the bigger offensive lines that they have faced have kind of neutralized Jacksonville State's defensive line. And um that that wasn't his word, but that was sort of what he was saying. That uh, you know, Liberty kind of leaned on them in the second half and ran the football and had some success. And then I combine that with what Rich Rod said, where he was like, "Look, we've got to we've got to get them talking about South Carolina. We got to get South Carolina in some third down situations because we're athletic on defense and maybe not the biggest on defense. So I, I think this is probably one of those games we've seen it over the years." where South Carolina plays an opponent that they're a little bit bigger than they're a little bit, they kind of just outman them a little bit. And you see that defense on the other side, just kind of get super aggressive and try to slant their fronts, try to run a bunch of what you would call games up front stunts up front. And what it leads to is some plays where you just get blown up in the backfield because they just shoot a gap on you. But then it also leads to Mario Anderson 40 yards here, 20 yards there, basically. And it's kind of a big hit or miss type approach. I, I got to think you're going to see quite a bit of that from Jacksonville State. If, if their one advantage in their opinion is, hey, we're pretty athletic on defense, they're probably going to try to shoot some gaps and just be aggressive against South Carolina, I would think, even on rundowns. Yeah, and I think that was actually, Wes, the number one thing that stood out to me. That was a, a great interview, but that that was kind of what I mentally jotted down too. was, you know, for South Carolina, your biggest advantage in this game, and this is generally too, right, when you look at FCS versus FBS, you look at G5 versus P5, it is on the line of scrimmage. That's not to say that everybody – at the group of five level has like skill guys and quarterbacks that are the same as the power five. That's not what I'm saying, but the bigger advantage and disadvantage, the bigger difference is typically in the trenches on the line of scrimmage. So if you're South Carolina, you have to make that matter, right? You, you need your defensive line to be disruptive, right? And, and allow your backers to make plays, allow the secondary to make plays. You got to affect the quarterback. If you're South Carolina offensively, Spencer Rattler's got to have a clean pocket. You've got to have room to run. And if you do notice that Jacksonville State is, you know, devoting a lot of guys up front, slanting their front, run blitzing, all these different things, you're going to have to be able to execute some of the basics, right? So I would think, Wes, Jacksonville State, if I had to guess, they're probably going to say, hey, we're going to give South Carolina some one-on-one opportunities. You know, we'll leave our DBs out on an island uh, because we need to devote more guys up front to try to defeat that bigger offensive line. And so um, using their athleticism, you know, South Carolina might have to say, hey, we're, we're going to throw a receiver screen here. 
you know, because they're they're trying to heat us up. And it's going to be up to an Amarian Brown, a Xavier Leggett, a Nick Carver, et cetera, to get in space and, you know, make some guys miss. You're going to have to do the basics well in this game, I think. And if you do that, then you should generally have a pretty good day offensively. If you're Jacksonville State um, and if you're Rich Rodriguez, and again, we're talking – 60, 60 something year old. That's what you said. You, you know how exactly old he is? I don't. Um, regardless, you're a seasoned coach. You're a veteran. Um, I was, we were talking earlier this week. His demeanor is kind of like, I think he knows, like, I, I've kind of, I've kind of been every, I've done it all. I've coached at the major, major level. And so you're sitting there. If you're Rich Rodriguez, and it's going to sound like a stupid question at first, so don't say, God, this guy's an idiot if you're listening. Just bear with me. Um, are, are you coming into this game willing to risk it all to have a shot to win the game? Or as a 7-2 and two football team that has had a really good year and wants to kind of just keep that rolling, you, nobody expects you to win this game. Are you okay – with kind of just keeping the game close. And, and like, I, I know every competitor wants to win the game, but every Jacksonville State goes into this game knowing, you know, against a Power Five opponent like South Carolina, you're just now making the bump up um, from the FCS. You know your chances of winning aren't, aren't great. And, and I say that just in terms of game flow. If it's fourth and three at – the South Carolina 40, you know, is it, is that a go every time? Is, is this, if it's fourth and goal at the three, which is kind of, eh, you know, are, are you going to go into this game if you're rich riding those guys super aggressive, knowing that that creates a much higher variance in possible outcomes of I could get completely run off the field in this game? Or are you kind of going in saying, yeah, we're probably not going to win if I, if we can keep this thing close and hang around. Maybe something good goes our way. I, I just think that maybe will play a factor in the the final, just the way this game flows as well. I'm not saying they're not trying to win the game. I know every single team tries to win the game, but we all, you know, look at the Tennessee game for South Carolina last year. They went in saying if it's fourth down and short ish. <laughs> We're, we're just going. Like, we're going to risk it all to win this game. You see, some teams aren't really willing to do that. They take a more conservative approach. I'll be curious to see, like, if, if South Carolina's forcing field goals, are they willing to take those field goals like, say, an A&M was last week? Or are they going to say, field goals aren't going to win this. We're just going to risk it and, and try to score touchdowns? No, I think it's a great point. I mean, um, I, my guess, and it is just a guess, is – First of all, South Carolina needs to eliminate that option, right? You need to come out, jump on them, grab a lead. I mean, how how much better would everyone feel if South Carolina's seventeen nothing, you know, mm-hmm. heading into the second quarter? You you feel much better about it, right? I, I kind of have a feeling it will not go that way, but yeah, I mean, if you're Rich Rod, I, I heck, if I were him, I'd just be aggressive. And I think also, Wes, you think about your offensive style, you know. Jacksonville State can't come into this game so with like Missouri's game plan from the 2022 game where they're like, we'll play it safe, we'll punt, we'll play defense. No, you can't yeah. do that. 
they are very adept at running the ball. And so I, I think that's actually a concern for the Gamecocks is, you know, if you if you have four, those fourth downs and Jacksonville State's in your territory, they're probably going. You give, you give a zone read tempo team with an athletic quarterback four downs to get 10 yards, that's mm. tough. So I think that's why early down defense, keeping them on their side of the field, so those those decisions are harder. A fourth and three from your own 30 versus a fourth and three at midfield. Pretty pretty big difference, right? And so mm-hmm. for South Carolina, take take those, make those decisions a lot harder for Rich Rodriguez or make them easier. And that is so obvious. Ah, we got we got a punt here. You know, we're we're trying to be aggressive, but it'd be stupid to do this. Yeah, and I think, man, this uh you kind of started getting into a couple of your keys to to win in there. And I, I think the guys that we talk about in the middle of this defense, Boogie Huntley, Taki Hemingway, TJ Sanders, you know, Debo Williams at linebacker, who I think is probably one of the more aggressive South Carolina linebackers we've seen in terms of if he sees an opening, he'll he'll kind of be aggressive and just say, Hey, I'm gonna go shoot a gap and and make a play and and maybe sometimes even freelance a little bit, but you, you're going to need those guys to be on the other side of the line of scrimmage in, in this game quite a bit, I think. And that, that's where, um, you know, winning a first down, and, hey, we're in second and ten now. That's great. Winning a first down and, hey, we just put them in second and 13 um, is, I think, how you're really going to be able to just get these guys off the field and put them in a position – to possibly turn the ball over to you. And I think if you're South Carolina, you just want to, you know, 17 nothing, like you said, what, you know, that would be the pipe dream. You want to just overwhelm these guys early on to where it gets them out of what they want to do on offense or to where you just overwhelm them to the extent that they do almost go into a, hey, guys, if we keep going, hurry up and lining up and going three and out, then we're going to get beat by 70 and you almost take that out of their toolbox. Yeah. You know, like there, there's a time, like we've all seen hurry up teams, like the backside of the, of being a hurry up team is you better be staying on the field a little bit. Like you better be making some first downs. If you start going hurry up and then giving the ball right back to number seven in his place, like at Willie B, I mean, that, that can get ugly for you. So I, I think there are some things you can do to neutralize what they want to do, which goes back to that thing we talk about all the time, which is complimentary football. And, you know, if you can yeah. put them behind in this game early on, regardless of how you do it, you can maybe change their flow and, and what they want to, to be about, I think. So yeah. um, almost three o'clock as we're live here, Chris, let's, let's go ahead and, and dive into our, our final scores, final predictions. No, um, no spoilers here. We we both have South Carolina winning the game. We both have them covering the spread. And Chris, I'll let you go first, man. We both actually have fairly similar outcomes in this one as well. A little teaser, Wes, when earlier I was talking about how I thought that South Carolina could get to 37 points again to get to that mark for what would be the third straight game. And that is, incidentally, the exact same score that I have South Carolina. 37 points against Mississippi State, 37 against Florida, and an unfortunate loss. But here I have the Gamecocks winning with 37 points, 20 for Jacksonville State. Wes, I think if we go back and look at this game, 
if we go back and we're talking on Monday about a huge Jacksonville State upset, probably what we will see is Jacksonville State's in third and short all game. They're nine for 13 on third downs, and they didn't turn the football over. They have like one turnover. Conversely, if South Carolina wins, I think multiple Jacksonville State turnovers, I think a a really good day for the offense, an efficient day for Spencer Rattler in the offense, and Mario Anderson running the football, and then getting Jacksonville State into some third and long situations and combining that with turnovers. And I tend to lean that way. I do think this Gamecock defense will put Jacksonville State in some bad situations. I think offensively, the Gamecocks will be able to set the tone and kind of take Jacksonville State out of their game a little bit. USC 37 and Jacksonville State 20 is what I have. So I've got South Carolina 40, Jacksonville State 17. Interestingly enough, a lot of our staff in our pick which also includes some of the 107.5 guys, uh, hovering right around those same numbers, man. Kendall, Smith, Mike Eva, they both have South Carolina scoring 38. Jack is with me, South Carolina scoring 40. Chris Wellbaum, South Carolina scoring scoring 41. Tyler Head has them scoring 34. So it, it feels like most of our group thinks it's a game South Carolina can score some points. I just, even if Jacksonville, I think that's the key too, man. If they can go do what we think they can do on offense, even if Jacksonville State has some success on offense themselves, which if you're South Carolina, you certainly hope that's not the case. But even if they did, it's just hard for me to see them being able to come in here and outscore South Carolina at Williams-Brice Stadium. So we'll see what happens. But I think if Carolina can put them in some of those throw situations, you're going to see them create some turnovers for the first time, um, literally the first time in a month, which would be um, would be huge for them. How big would that be for the entire sideline, man, if yep. they can just have like a pick six or a scoop and score or something like that? I was going to say early in this game, at any point in this anytime. game. Anytime, yeah, anytime. And, and that's usually, doesn't it seem like if you have uh, an FCS opponent or in this case, you know, a, a opponent transitioning from that to, to the next level, these games really start to get out of hand when you kind of have that big turnover that, like, these teams will hang around on you a little bit. And you maybe you're up seven, up 14, up, but then the route is on when they have a big turnover, I, yes. I feel like. So yes. for South Carolina, if you could turn them over early and take advantage of it, then I, I think that could go a long way for you. Travis saying, I think we'll see more of that three, three, five stack. You know, we talked about that package in itself earlier this week, but I thought there were some good things there, man. I, I really did getting Jaron Willis involved. I'll be honest. I think a lot of people sort of uh, put Jaron Willis in the, Oh, he was a four star. This guy's coming in to play right now. This guy's going to be really good. I was a little bit more wait and see on him, Chris, because I feel like there wasn't, a lot of buzz from the people we talked to this preseason. So I kind of had maybe just, I was a little more just wait and see, but um, the fact that the coaches are now mentioning him, they create a package for him means he's doing the things they are asking him to do in practice. So there's a check Mark. And then just watching him move around, man, this dude, I don't want to overstate it, 
and put too high expectations, but there's definitely some athletic ability here with Jaron Willis. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with that as the year progresses and then going into the offseason long-term, you know, is that a guy that can maybe come along and get into your regular rotation going into next year? That'll be a, a real storyline, I think, to keep an eye on. But anyway, we're out of time. We could talk Gamecock football for hours. We're not going to do that today. We're going to get out of here. Um, appreciate y'all hanging with us all week. Appreciate the diehards who are hanging in there. Numbers a little bit down this week. I think people are, you know, Chris, they're they're feeling it a little bit. They're feeling yep. the, no the doubt. loss. But um, if you're going to go four for four, it very clearly has got to start with a dub this week for South Carolina. So. We'll see what that what what that looks like, and we'll be here to talk about it, of course, on Monday. And we'll have complete coverage on Gamecock Central throughout the weekend. As always, thank you all for the support. He's Chris Clark. I'm Wes Mitchell. We'll see you all Monday.